Hello, cruel world, and welcome to a very sleepy episode of <laughs> I Love This, You Should Too. My name is Indy NPR Randawa, <laughs> and with me is Samantha Sleepy Time He's. Oh, man. <laughs> and here at I Love This, You Should Too, we are members of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. I think I could just do episodes like this. I'm kind of feeling it now. <laughs> I don't think I can match you, bro. Why not? Because it's too hard, and I'm too excited. Oh, your your energy is coming back then. I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. It was really hard for me to get you off the couch. I know. But you're feeling it now. Fake <sighs> it till you make it, I think is what I'm doing right now. Oh, yeah. That's, that's how I've built my life, my <laughs> career at least. Me too. <laughs> well, welcome everyone. I think I will hopefully get more energy as this podcast goes along but this is one of our pre-episodes so we will each have a spoiler free thing of the week something that we are into right now and then samantha is going to tell us oh she's she's dancing up a storm now i'm really trying you can't tell but she's she's really going for it <laughs> i'm trying to pump myself up quietly over here so you feel like just <laughs> rustling around a microphone is your best <laughs> option. Um, I said, what was I saying? Oh, that Spoiler you're going free. to uh, tell us what we're going to watch for a big watch next week. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm very excited. Well, before we get going, let's thank our first sponsor of the episode, and this episode is brought to you in part by Park Power. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you are choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local non-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities, which is our community. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski. And we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. And if here you, at I Love This You Should Too. That too. If you want to learn more, you can visit parkpower.ca. Well, Samantha, what do you have for us on this sleepy April morn? I feel like it should be like raining. And it really should like, be. It feels like an all-day steady rain kind yeah. of feeling. Yeah, that's what I'm going for, I good. think. Yeah, with like a cup of tea and your rain boots all right you got your tea it's a rainy day you're curled up on the couch what are you gonna do sam uh you're gonna grab a book called after i do by taylor jenkins reed oh she's one of your favorites we've heard about two of her novels from you in the past so this is the third of hers that you've read fourth actually oh yeah well tell us about this one so i uh read this one with my ears like i read all the books right <laughs> and um this one is about a couple who has been married since just after college and um they just aren't communicating anymore, and uh, they decide to take a one-year break. Oh, that's mm. Mm. if you just if you want to break up, break up, right? Don't just like prolong it for another year. Just saying, like, oh yeah, go do whatever for a year and meet me back here. Because yeah, that's, that's how you trouble. foster trust. <laughs> that's trouble. Look, I'm already getting more energy. Yeah, <laughs> <Nice> <laughs> you're outraged. <laughs> 
So they spend a year apart and the um, protagonist kind of comes into herself because she feels like maybe they got married too early and mm-hmm. they didn't really have like lives or were fully formed humans. So she... Absolutely. That's why it's great we're getting married as old people. <laughs> <laughs> we are old people now. Um, so they, um, she kind of comes into herself and like really embraces like her independence and her husband does similar and um i don't want to ruin the ending but uh it's kind of interesting to watch them grow in different ways so does the novel jump back and forth between these two protagonists occasionally it's mostly um lauren who is the wife of the couple it's mostly about her but you do get a few insights onto what her husband ryan is doing so without spoiling it can you talk about how they grow or some things that they do in that year yeah so just bang everyone else (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so she lauren starts dating and um living on her own and like learning um how to kind of take care of herself without Ryan being there all the time. And so she she has those like kind of classic moments where she learns how to like build something or like fix something. And she has those like, oh, I am capable. And like, I did do this by myself. And um, she goes on a few dates and she gets closer to like her family and, uh, yeah, so it's kind of cool to see the few little things that she does um, and how different the same situation is for Ryan. Can you tell how it's different? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. So um, it's kind of a quick one for me. But uh, After I Do by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And it was published in 2014, so it should be uh, wherever you find your books. Yeah, go to your local library, as yeah. we always say. Um, and there's a very good audiobook for it. Is it the same reader that you've heard on other books of hers? Yes, same kind of character. So uh, I do like the like use of the same narrator every time, because it does kind of make it feel like all the books are... Similar? A little more cohesive? Yeah, without, like, because they're obviously not, like, a series of books. They're just books by this author. So it's kind of nice to have the same person reading it because it feels like it might be the author's idea of what it would sound like. Does that make any sense? Yeah, definitely. Okay. (laughs) Because often if somebody has a good feel for that author's material. Yeah. And if they're well suited to it, you'd want to hear that same person going through, I think. Yeah, it's like somebody, the same person telling you a story written by the same person. So it's, it's, yeah, it kind of gets you back into the feel of what the writing that Taylor Jenkins Reid does in all of her books. Mm -hmm. It feels very similar. Because I'm not quite the connoisseur of audiobooks (laughs) as you are, but... I read a lot of translated works and then having the same translator that I get familiar with Mm -hmm. because there's two big uh, Murakami translators and Uh, there's one that I greatly prefer. Oh, okay. Yeah, see? I think it's um, the same sort of thing. It totally, totally is. I uh, listened to Harry Potter when the pandemic first started and we were at home and I was like, I just need something to like focus on. I can't remember who the two people who have narrated those books, but... I greatly prefer one of them. Well, there is one who is very popular. I haven't listened to any of those, but mm-hmm. 
It's somebody big, and I wish I remember I now because there's this is one thing that a bunch of people right now are going like, it's this person. How do you guys not know this? You talk about audiobooks, and you're like nerds. You should know this one, mm-hmm. but I I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember, but um, but yeah, like there's you kind of get the feel of how the story is supposed to be told, and then. Mm-hmm. It gets really thrown off. And plus, if that person's good, that's what you expect. Even if they are uh, making a conscious choice mm-hmm. of what they think how the story should be told. Mm-hmm. But if you agree, then you're coming to expect that. And when someone's different, then you're like, well, you're doing it wrong. Even though it's exactly. just different. I read, um, I can't remember. It was like a series, though, where like the same protagonist in every single book is telling you the story and like there was a big gap i think between publication of two books in the series and they got a different narrator for the like second half of the gap and i like i stopped listening to the series because it didn't sound like the right book (laughs) so you don't want to tell too much more about this book but what about that idea that is the premise of this book, that these people probably got together at an early age because they felt that the other completed them. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of against that. I think you should be a complete person. Yeah. And then find someone who brings out the best in you, who compliments you. Exactly. And it's like, I'm sure most people can look back at the people they dated in their early 20s and are like, man, I'm glad I'm not married to them. Right? And then some of them, they just, they find yeah. it. They kind of grow to be complete people together and they yeah. need that. But I think that's a rarity. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I um, enjoyed that idea of realizing that you're not a complete person without your spouse. Mm-hmm. And then um, like growing to find the pieces of you that maybe you didn't develop because you're always part of a couple. Oh, I thought you were going to say, oh, I like that idea of just taking a break for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> a uh, a rumspringer. Yeah. Is that what this is called? I think so. Um we're not allowed to take a break because we're not even married yet. <laughs> <laughs> we win, then once we are, yeah. break time. Break for a year. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's going to be like, oh, this podcast got weird. <laughs> weird and dark. That's how, I, uh, that's how I'm going to branch out. I'll just have a series of guest hosts. And people will be like, how dare you cheat on Samantha Where's with a Samantha? Different, different host? Where is she? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just like not mention that I'm not on the podcast anymore. <laughs> It'll just be a new person every week. We should just get someone to be like a voice actor for me. Oh, but play you? But pretend to be me, yeah. I would want to do that myself. <laughs> yeah? We were playing the game one time when we were with your friends, and you have to like do different tasks, and I had to pretend to be you for until like the next card is played or whatever. Right. And then everyone agreed that it was too accurate, and it might <laughs> cause trouble, so I had to yeah. stop. <laughs> <laughs> Because I I have the benefit of listening to you speak for hours. Well, I guess everyone does. They listen to their partner speak for hours. But yeah. I listen to it on repeat and Even edit the I'm audio. Not there. So I'm I'm I spent so many hours <laughs> listening to you that I, I think I'm pretty good at doing your speech patterns. Mm-hmm. I can see your speech and know what you're saying based on the waveform. Oh my god. That's how much I've listened to you. Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't want to give away any more about After I Do by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Um, so you can find that at your local library or wherever you get books from, which yeah. I hope is your local library. Or like a local bookstore. Yeah, shop local. 
Um, so, Indy, what what are you so so into? What's your thing of the week? Well, like you are on your third Taylor Jenkins read, I am going to do the final installment of my Kurt Vonnegut roundup. Mm. Earlier this year, I took it upon myself to read everything Kurt Vonnegut has ever written, and now I'm done, and I'm kind of sad, kind of really sad. Because I've, um, maybe like you with some of your audiobook narrators, I've grown accustomed to this voice, even though it's, um, I mostly read paper, but the voice of Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. It's, I've really come to appreciate him. I know a lot of people say like, oh, greatest writer ever. I will go as far to say as one of the best writers in English, uh, Ah. novelists in my, in my mind. I've read all of his short stories and his essays and plays as well. I don't like those nearly as much, but his novels I I, I truly love. Hmm. So uh, in a few previous episodes, if you want to go back and listen, I've talked about a brief little review of everything he's done. But this is the third part. So we're going to cover four novels from 1985 to 1997. Okay. And it's kind of weird that he like gets into my lifetime yeah. now because it's someone who I didn't discover until he was already dead. Oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah. But I think most of my favorite writers were dead before I was born. So this person at least overlapped with me a little bit. Oh. And if you're not familiar, Kurt Vonnegut was an American author who lived from 1922 to 2007. Uh, he was in World War II, and a lot of his books revolve around that in some way. Uh, let's start first in 1985 with his novel called Galapagos, a novel. Oh, is this about turtles? Not directly. Okay. But it is about evolution. Oh. That is like a main theme for this huh. I t- talked about Vonnegut in the past, how he doesn't believe in um, suspense. Mm-hmm. So in this book, he says, the narrator says that uh, any whoever the next person to die is, mm-hmm. I'll put an asterisk by their name so you know that they're going to die right away so you don't get too invested in them. <laughs> oh my goodness. Which is like the opposite of what any novelist exactly. would do. Exactly. You want to like build that suspense and make it really like big when you see that asterisk you know that person is gonna die wow the thinking behind that because this move this has to do with uh, evolution a lot the contention is that when someone dies they can no longer contribute genetically so they have no importance wow that's not what the book talks about but that's what evolutionarily that's what it's like right Hmm. if you're dead you don't matter anymore true Uh, so the narrator of this is an uncountable number of years in the future. We don't know where they are or who they are. And that is one of only maybe two or three uses of uh, suspense or mystery in all of Vonnegut's novels. So this is maybe the first time I've seen him do this. Because you don't know who is writing or talking in this book. Wow. Uh, But they're talking about 1986. And there's all these ideas of... um, it is just like a normal story about people on a ship and they go and do stuff. But it's Vonnegut, so that's not the most important thing. He talks a lot about how brains are more of an evolutionary failure than a success in the case of humans. Because like after all, like we want an evolutionary success is to uh, make you live long and um, have babies, mm-hmm. right? That's That's what's successful. But our brains have gotten to this so far that... They have learned to hate themselves so much that 
they will kill themselves. Oh. And I'm not like shitting on people who are suicidal. I'm saying there's no evolutionary reason for that. Right. It doesn't help in strict terms of, of, of evolution. We look at all of this progress as a modern society as success, but like, why? Like, do these added complications make our lives better? The fact that you can get fruit from anywhere and you mm-hmm. can go to a grocery store and do it. You're like, oh, that's good. But is that better in an evolutionary standpoint? Hmm. Or do all of these complications make us worse? Huh. Interesting. It's an interesting thing to think about. I feel like every time you do um, a Vonnegut novel, it's like heavy, deep thought. <laughs> there is, yeah. And it's always portrayed in this like fun, sometimes silly story, but then there's something at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about evolution, but of course it's Kurt Vonnegut. So what I think he's actually talking about is how we have all of this technology and we could solve world hunger right now. Right. But we just choose not to. We just don't. Yeah. That's what he's really getting to, I wow. think, because he's saying like, where is the benefit for all of mankind and all the things we do? We complicate our lives, but we're not doing the most simple things that pigeons will do. Wow. I'm just making sure everyone's fed. That's uh, pretty deep. And he talks about a, a particular famine that is happening. And he says that this famine is as much of a result of our brains as Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is. Like, sure, we can do such great things, but also we take it upon ourselves to like, yeah, let's just kill all these people. Mm. But we got this beautiful art. And... We are thankful for how complex our world and brains are in some Mm -hmm. respects, but then we don't blame our own brains for starting wars or genocide. Right. But it's all coming from the same place. So that's uh, Galapagos. I think one of his best. I loved it. It's weird a lot of the times. And I think you may get to see what happens to humanity in a million years. Oh, wow. According to Vonnegut. That's, uh, it sounds like a very interesting book to read if you're into that. I'll give you one other little thing. If it doesn't sound <laughs> weird enough, there might be a ghost. <gasps> Love a good ghost There's added. no ghost in any of his things, but there might be a ghost in this. Ooh. Let's go next to a novel from 1987. It is called Bluebeard, the autobiography of Rabo Karabikian, 1916 to 1988. Hmm. So in this one, he is writing as this character and which he's done before. And I usually like those ones. Are you familiar with um, Bader-Meinhof phenomenon? No. Or uh, it's also called frequency bias. But like if I taught you something, like um, I taught the world word uh, defenestration a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. Have you heard that come up since? Yeah. So that is uh, an example of this. If you learn something, you keep seeing it pop up. And right. you're like, oh, I just learned this. And it keeps popping up everywhere. Or if you buy a... 2016 honda hrv and you're like oh this is a weird car i like it and then after you buy it, you're like wow everyone has this car everyone yeah you just like see it everywhere it's frequency bias that when something is new to you and then you start seeing it everywhere right and because you finally notice it because you had just learned about it recently mm-hmm. so i experienced that with this because i learned about the folktale bluebeard one mm-hmm. week and do you know about that 
Not really. So the it's a French folktale, and uh, the short version is there's this wealthy guy. He's super nice and is uh, he has a new bride, and he's giving his bride everything she wants. Some versions start with him being scary, but yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. And he says, oh, you get this whole great place to live in. Just don't go in that room. Oh. So then, of course, the story goes on, and eventually she's going to go in the All room. All she wants to do is go in that room. Yeah. So she goes in the room. She finds... uh. All of his former wives dead and like hanging on hooks and shit. And then uh, she gets discovered that she had gone into the room. So he goes, oh, you know, the punishment of going in the room is I kill you and put you in the room. So it's kind of a paradox that like they go in there because they looked in there and then they get murdered. Right. Uh, So that's the folktale of Bluebeard. And I had heard that for the first time just like a month ago. And then in a podcast I was listening to, they were talking about Gilles Deray, who is a uh, real-life French serial killer. Uh-huh. And it turns out that's who Bluebeard is based on. Oh. Like, he just had a room full of women on hooks. Well, he more of, uh, I don't know how much we want to talk about, he, <laughs> he, he murdered and raped children. Okay. Gross. So, but he did have a room of hooks. Yeah. Mm. But uh, that's who the story is based on. And I learned about both of them. In the same month. And then, like, the next Vonnegut novel for me to read was called Bluebeard. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. Why is it called Bluebeard? I now have some knowledge about it. And this is the second instance of tension in or surprise in any of his books. Because in this, the title character has a kind of a, a barn that he says, don't go in there. Mm. And so then you want to know what's in the barn. So there's tension in it, which is fun because that's so rare in his books. Mm-hmm. And it's, he doesn't um, just tell you what what's in the yeah, barn. Yeah, usually the it would be the first yeah. page. He goes, "This is what's in the barn. Let's talk about it." Just now. so you know. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of this is about art and the art world and different ways people interact with art mm-hmm. and what it means and the idea of it being some sort of prestigious thing and how it's exclusive, but. That's what a lot of the book is about. But one little tiny thing that is mentioned that I really enjoyed is because he was in World War II and therefore, like, of course, lived before it. And mm-hmm. he spends time talking about America after World War One and how there was a pride in the fact that they didn't go to war all the time. Yeah. So there was this thought of like, oh, those Europeans, they just go to war over everything. And then he witnessed the the transfer after World War II and how now there's a sense of pride in, in America about military power and military right. strength yeah. when that didn't used to be a thing in his childhood. And he's, of course, uh, very sad about that because he's Vonnegut and that's what he's all about. <laughs> no war. Yeah. He, he's seen it. He knows. Yeah. Uh, next, in 1990, he wrote a book called Hocus Pocus or What's the Hurry, Son? <laughs> I love his titles. They're, yeah, they're, they're fun. They're random and fun. And sometimes very long. Uh, this one starts with a tombstone. He puts drawings in some of his books. Right. And it starts with a tombstone. The epitaph reads, While there is a lower class... I am in it. While there is a criminal element, I am of it. While there is a soul in prison, I am not free. And I really, really like that. Wow. Uh, There's one line in this book that's about uh, wanting people to be on every part of Earth is like wanting every foot to have athlete's foot, which I like as well. (laughs) And he likens colonialism to what is happening anywhere by any ruling class, how... 
we think of like, oh, genocide in one other country where like the British went and like took over and killed a bunch mm-hmm. of people. That's a separate thing. We, we here are something so different from that. But when you look at it, it's a lot of the same things. It's we are controlled by a ruling class. They mm-hmm. choose how we live and when we die and they can impose their wills upon us at at their leisure. That's dark to think of. So like most people are being colonized in their own place true wherever they live by the rich and then we're both both post-colonial speaking and like in our just day-to-day life there's this idea of how rich people can take all of your money and resources but then make it seem like your fault that you're not doing better like look at these lazy people and say like, yeah but you took all my yeah lazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah um a lot of this is about prisons and of course, there is a prison at the center of this novel, and there's also a school, and they're kind of talking about school is a prison, how your class system that you are a part of is a prison, your body is a prison, the skin color you were born with is a prison. And he talks about how there's this one guy who who's black, and then he talks about being born in a uniform, mm-hmm. meaning that being born looking like he looks means he does certain things and can't do certain other things, right? Oh, wow. Um, so it's about prisons and schools and how everything is a prison. Whoa, man. So that's Hocus Pocus. <laughs> and then that brings us to our last one. And this is called Timequake. And oh. he took a break, and this is in 1997. Oh, cool. And it's his least narrative novel, I'd say, which I don't like as much. I often don't like those books where he's uh, spending time, like, musing, and it's not an actual story. Right. So this one, uh, follow me here, it's kind of three drafts of a novel, plus commentary on writing the novel, plus, like, musings and essays, kind of. I think that's just called a journal. (laughs) But it's like in novel form. Right. Like something happens narratively and then he'll just start musing about what that means and just have like an entire essay. But it relates to it. And I don't like it as much. I like his most narrative stuff the most. But this seems less like someone being lazy and more like someone getting late in their career and playing with form. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's getting a little more experimental here. So the narrative part is, um, so the universe Mm -hmm. stops expanding and starts contracting. And because of this, uh, time jumps back 10 years. Oh. So everybody does what they were doing 10 years ago. Oh, so like everyone just like resets to 10 years ago. Wow. But you're conscious of it. Oh. But you are not free to do anything else. Oh, so you're like, why am I doing this again? That was you're such just a dumb a choice. <laughs> yeah. And you are cursed or blessed to live those 10 years over again. Oh, wow. And he often talks about free will. And I love how he explains it because he, in other books, would have aliens. And they're like, free will? Like, what even? That's not even a thing to talk about. And humanity, like philosophers, love to talk about if free will is real or not. And I just want to say, like, why? What does it change does yeah. it change anything at Nothing. all if you learned today your entire life is a simulation can you just like stop going to work no nope. you can't you have to do the exact same thing yeah why would it make your life any different so i kind of don't like talk about free will because it's like it doesn't matter right but i'm a uh, non-essentialist murder bordering on nihilism so. <laughs> you're gonna say murderer <laughs> <laughs> murderer but i'm a murderer so whatever <laughs> 
Um, so in this book, there are like time paradoxes, which get a little bit um, confusing. Like for instance, Kurt Vonnegut, the person in our world, wrote this novel and then didn't like a novel and then started rewriting it and then starts commenting on the rewriting process. Oh. But in that novel, Kurt Vonnegut is also a character who is in it and is writing a novel, but then has to do the same stuff over again because uh, time went back. But the novel he is writing is the novel we are reading. But the second time through, how could he change it and make those edits because he's doing the exact same thing? Mm. So who's editing the book? It's like a, it's a fourth Kurt Vonnegut, I guess. It's so convoluted. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Ultimately, I, I didn't love it. There's uh, too much of those, like the essay style yeah. stuff. But one thing I really did like is at the end, or maybe not at the end, but at some point after 10 years, free will kicks back in. Mm-hmm. But most people are like, no, no, thank you. Yeah. We've lived 10 years of not having to do, make a decision. And now they have to, and people don't like that. Whoa. Which I think is a really clever insight into humanity, because I think that would be the case. Yeah. People I think, would just go used to just like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're going over here now, and yeah. I guess I'm doing this. And- so a problem that they keep happening, that keeps happening is people will just put their cars on um, like autopilot and like crash, because they're like, I'm not, I don't do decisions anymore. It's right. not something I'm capable of doing. Fair. And people just like lay around. And then there is another character who's based on Kurt Vonnegut who has to kind of, it's a bit of a hero thing. And his characters that are based on him are always like the worst pieces of garbage and everyone hates them. And they are writers who are unappreciative, unappreciated and only get their stuff published in like the back pages of porno. That's the only place <laughs> that he thinks his work is like good enough to be. Right. And it, it shows he's like he's he's pretty self-loathing, and I, I dig that. <laughs> uh, but in this one, which is his last thing, a character based on him kind of gets to be a bit of a hero, and I really love that. It made me happy that it's <laughs> my least favorite of his, so it's sad right. that that's the last one. But it seems like he kind of finds some peace to it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. So I like that about it. Uh, so that's the end. All of my Kurt Vonnegut books. I won't talk about any of the uh, essays or short stories, so we're going to end it there. Aww. He did also uh, grade his books. So if I recommend stuff, I'd actually agree with him because he gave A's to uh, Cat's Cradle and Slaughterhouse-Five, uh-huh. which I think are absolutely amazing. I would put Galapagos up there as well, and then maybe Mother Night. Those might be my four favorites, but go check them out. I think Slaughterhouse-Five is Everyone loves it, and I think with good reason, so you could start there. Or Cat's Cradle, I think, is silly and funny and also, like, super dark and uh, (laughs) thought-provoking. Oh, okay. So go read the works of Kurt Vonnegut, a real good guy. A real good guy. Yeah. The end. Good night, everyone. Bye. So our second sponsor of the episode is the Edmonton Community Foundation, which is helping us give a pod power shout out to Bookwoman. Bookwoman is a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland aim to inspire Indigenous peoples to see their stories in whatever form they enjoy. 
Guests include indigenous storytellers from diverse mediums like podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, films, music, and everything in between. You can listen to and find out more at bookwomanpodcast.ca. Well, let's hear now, Sam. What are we going to be watching for our big watch next week? Well, I promised in the last episode that I was going to be a little bit more of a completionist. Oh. So we are watching the 2010 summer hit Step Up 3D. 3D. Yeah. So I know nothing about this outside that it's Step Up and I... Actually, you know what? I say I know nothing about it. I bet I could predict the entire plot right yeah. now. But this one was in 3D? This one, I believe, was released in 3D. And I think it's because 2010 was like when 3D was brand new. So I think it was the, the year where everything was made in 3D, even right. if there was only like 20 seconds of the movie that actually like made sense in 3D. Yes. Where you just wore the stupid glasses and watched your basic movie i'm interested to see if we'll be able to find a way to watch this in 3d probably not so because the only way we're set up to watch it at home is with like the two-tone glasses type right and this was not that type of 3d no it was um this is much later more like imax 3d Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's uh It'll be interesting to see if we actually can watch it. Oh, we can watch it. We can watch it? Okay. It just probably won't be in 3D. Okay. Um, So this one is available on Disney+. Plus. Oh, really? Which is odd that they have number three and not one and two. You'd think that they'd own the whole Step Up franchise. I've avoided reading a synopsis. Right. You don't want any spoilers for this. I don't want any spoilers. Um... Because these movies are um, kind of delightful to just get into. <laughs> right. Um, so this was released August 2010. Um, it does not have Channing Tatum in it. Oh, that's sad. Uh, it does have Moose. Moose. Um, Who actually I thought was one of the most likable characters in I the last one. I thought he was super fun. Um, and then one of the other dancers... From that crew, uh, Cable. Do you remember Cable? I don't know which one was which. I think he was the only Asian one. Cable, because he was the guy who like hooked up all the AV equipment. Yeah. And then wanted to dance. And then was like, dance. He was like that. But he threw his arms in the air. Well, they can't see you doing that. Right. I forgot about <laughs> that. So um, it looks like there's like a few returning characters, but... Um, so it probably takes place at the same school, I, I would guess. I assume yeah. so, because that seems to be where the only place dancers live. In Baltimore, yeah. In- oh, and also the streets. Also in the streets. Um, so what do you think happens in this movie? Oh, I think it's going to be the same. Well, it's one of the two dance movies. We established on the last one, there's only two dance movies. Right. They're all one of those two. It's going to be one of those two, but maybe they'll switch the male and the female. Maybe it'll be like... The females from the street. Oh, no, they did that on the last one. Yeah. Maybe it'll switch back. Yeah, maybe it'll switch back, And the man will be from the streets. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe they'll have uh, a person of color in it. What? Being from the streets of Baltimore, it's been all uh, white people, which... I don't know. I've I've never been to Baltimore. I've seen a lot of stuff about it, and I don't think that's the case. Um, From the 
cast listing on the front page of Google, there looks like there are two black people in this movie and an Asian person. They're moving on up. Right? So who knows? Maybe this will be ethnically diverse. Or maybe it'll be much like the last two, but this time there'll be pauses where people like jump right out into the camera. Right. Because it's in 3D and they're probably trying to take full advantage of that. Exactly. They're like, get that shoe out there. Yeah. Samantha is making uh, gestures towards the microphone now. As if it were a camera. (laughs) Yeah. And now I am doing a septuple head spin. No, he's not. <laughs> let him. Let me have this. Okay. Oh wow! So many turns. <laughs> Woo! So I think it'll be the same group of friends from that dance school, but maybe they're like seniors or something, right? And they're like they're older and wiser, and they have to do their senior project, <laughs> and no one can do the lift until the end of the movie. <laughs> I feel like I'm not even going to make predictions. It's going to be one of the same stories we've seen. And these movies aren't about uh, any sort of originality. It's about (laughs) doing the same thing, but with more interesting dance. And I hope... And more water. They have more interesting dance in this one. Because that's all they need. And I, my suspicion is that as these movies continue on, their attention to the main plot, like in the first one, Uh that was the driving force. They wanted to get the love story across more than anything. Dance was secondary. I feel like as the budgets get lower, the sequel numbers get higher, they're going to reverse that and have dance as the primary thing and the story secondary, which I say good because you weren't weren't exactly nailing the story in the first place. It wasn't like the best story ever. No, I hope that that is true. Um, this one made $159.2 million at the box office. Wow. Probably not a huge budget, I'm guessing, right? I'm assuming not. I haven't, like I said, I haven't really researched anything, but that came up in the Wikipedia listing. So I, um, I hope that it lives up to that box office number and that it's not a flop. I hope Moose is the main character, but I feel like he won't be. Oh, yeah. I I feel like there's going to have to be... There's going to be like a handsome buff guy has Probably. to be the lead, right? With big shirts. Oh, mate, you know what? Here's my, here's the only prediction I'll make. I hope and I think the shirts are going to get small because Shoot, I think- It's 2010 now. Well, I think they're going to go more with like rather than, um, hey, look, I'm street. I wear giant clothes and they're going to try to make it more sexy. Right. And have tight shirts. Fair. Yeah. But I think the women's shirts will get bigger from part two because those were very small shirts. Oh, they... So I think men's shirts will get smaller, women's shirts will get bigger. That's my only theory. And I think really all we should talk about next episode is uh, shirt sizes. Because we do spend a lot of time <laughs> shirt budget. talking about the shirt budget on all of these. Yes. Yeah. There's far too many shirts. So let's not uh, predict anything else. What are your shirt predictions, Samantha? Um, I think that there may be less midriff. female midriff in this movie and i think that the men will be more in that like tight shirt muscly kind of look well we've just been talking about nonsense for a while now (laughs) should we wrap it up i think so i don't even remember what we said this episode no no it's been a silly one but that's fine Okay, well, we will see you back here next week when we have watched Step Up 3, D. (laughs) And uh, you can find it on Disney Plus or maybe your local library has one. Maybe. On this one, though, you know, I'm going to say you have better chance with the Vonnegut and the 
Tara Jenkins Reid. Tara Jenkins Reid? Yeah. Tara, Taylor. <laughs> it's Taylor Jenkins Reid. <laughs> um, okay, we'll see everyone next time. Bye. Bye, everyone. Yeah. You want me to start or do you want to start? You start. <laughs> or else it's going to be ho, ho, ho. <laughs> yeah, you should start. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> this episode's in April. We can't do ho, ho, ho. You can do bunny, bunny, bunny. <laughs> this is what it would sound as a bunny, an Easter bunny make. Egg, egg, egg. Yeah. <laughs>